Welcome to episode 71 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 71 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everyone. How are you today, Jen? Well, I have a funny story to share. You know how our phones know where we are at all times, and they like suggest places they think we're going to go? Like how now they figure out where your home is and where your work is? Drives yes. me crazy. Yes. Well, it's funny, but, you know, for all this time, I would get in my car and it would say how long it would take to get to my elementary school. Like I would get in the car. If it was morning, it would tell me how long it was to get to this elementary school. So yesterday I got in the car. I had to run an errand, not going to elementary school, obviously, since I'm retired from teaching. So I got in the car to run this errand and it suggested how long it would take me to get to the lake. So that was very exciting. It, It thought I wanted to go to the lake and not to elementary school. So now I really feel like I retired because my phone would rather go to the lake than to elementary school. That's really funny. I mean, it was hilarious. I just started laughing so hard when I looked at it and it said, it will take you blah, blah, blah to get to Modoc, which is where we usually put our in our boat at the lake. And it told me the way to go. And I was like, awesome. How, how far away <laughs> is the lake? It takes us like, it told me, well, yesterday morning it was going to take me 35 minutes to get there. So... Things are official. And then I literally this morning woke up and thought, I should just go to the lake by myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's when you know. I might do that tomorrow, yeah. And like just sit on the little lake shore. They have beaches all around. I might do that. I can if I want to. (laughs) You have an iPhone, I'm guessing. I do, yeah. I remember the first time when I was working in Atlanta and it said – it, it like assumed I was going to work and then it assumed I was going home. I, right. I felt like my, my privacy was, I don't know. I was just like, who asked you, who asked you to tell me that? I didn't. You know, I just, I just <laughs> got a home pod. Those, those Apple speakers that are super fancy speakers. And, um, after my son was at Apple for the summer, he came home and he had a home pod and it is like the best speaker ever. I don't know. Maybe I just have low quality speakers. That's actually true. But compared to what I had, the home pod is wonderful. So you talk to it and it, you know, like Alexa does, like you've got Alexa, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, talking to somebody about it on Facebook and they're like, aren't you worried about privacy? I'm like, you know, if we've got iPhones, that cat's out of the bag. Not only do they know where we go, when we go there. <laughs> Not to sound conspiratorial, but I wouldn't be surprised if the government's listening to everything. They're probably listening to this podcast. 
Well, you know, somebody said that and I joked and I'm like, well, if, if it is that the home pod is being monitored, then pretty soon everyone's going to be intermittent fasting. And that is awesome. That's true. So. <laughs> Change the world that way. Yeah, There you go. So anyhow. So what's new with you? Well, I got really excited about two things. So, you know, how I talked about how I had or have <laughs> mercury poisoning, which is super fun. Yes. I have begun chelation for it, but I'm not actually going to be doing all the chelation until September, but I've been missing fish in my life so much. I'm such a fish person and I'm so sad that I can't have fish. So I researched for hours and hours individual fish producers and I found two types of fish that have no detectable mercury levels. Well, I'm happy for you. And what are those fish types? Ironically, they're basically the fish that I was eating before I moved and before I felt sick. Oh. And it has to be this brand. So it's the, um, have you ever had the Barramundi sustainable sea bass that you can buy at Whole Foods? Now look, I told you the story about how I cried when I ate fish. Remember that one? Oh, right. Yeah, no, I did not have that fish. (laughs) I don't don't eat fish at all. Oh my goodness. Well, for all the fish listeners, There's this amazing fish at Whole Foods called Bear Mundi. It's the Australis brand, and it's called Sustainable Sea Bass. And it is farm-raised, but they raise it in enclosed tanks, and they feed it an all-vegetarian diet. So basically, mercury is not, not present, and it's sustainable. So that's one. Awesome. And then actually the tilapia I've been buying, the frozen brand at Costco – which is really, really good. Yeah, it's farm-raised as well, but they don't add, the producer, they don't add antibiotics or hormones and they raise them in enclosed nets and give them special feed. So according to them, there's no detectable mercury. Well, that's So good. I've decided I'm eating it. Yay, that's good. So if, you know, if it doesn't have the mercury, that should be safe. I'm glad you're getting your fish fix again. I'm so happy. And I'm continuing to be fish-free. <laughs> I know we have completely different food tastes. We really do. It's we so really funny. do. We're like yeah, complete yeah. opposite. Yeah, what we eat. It's true. It really is. You don't like watermelon. I hate watermelon. <laughs> Wait, what's your favorite food? We've talked about this. It's hard to say what my favorite food is. I have a lot of foods I really like. I like cheese a whole lot, cheese and crackers. I drink guacamole. I drink. I eat guacamole with um, tortilla chips. I love olives. Oh, see? Do you like ask olives? Me, ask me what's the one – ask me what foods I don't like. There's not many. Do you, do you not like olives? There are very few foods I don't like. Okay. What do you not like? Olives. <laughs> <laughs> and oranges. I like oranges. And, yeah. gra- and grapefruit. I do like grapefruit. I didn't used to like it. I will eat anything else. Anything else. And lima beans. Oh, I love lima beans. Oh, I just got one of the food delivery companies that I um, that I use. It's all organic. And in today's shipment, I got a snack, and they had they started offering these little snacks, and it's lima bean dip. Yeah, I wouldn't. Maybe I'll dip some olives. Into oh man. It. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. They have little baby carrots that they send with it, and some crackers, but. Yeah, I love that. I love lima beans. I love olives. Even when I was a picky child, I ate those things. But give me watermelon and I'm not going to eat it. Here's a telling question. What is your least and most favorite type of nut? 
Okay. My most favorite type has always been pistachios. Oh, see, that would probably be my least favorite. That's so funny. We have like completely different taste bud profiles, mm-hmm. I guess. I love pistachios. I remember, you might be too young for this. Remember when they di- were dyed red? No. See, people that are young don't even believe me. Or I, I was having this conversation with my sister, I think, who doesn't even remember. They were dyed red? Yes. I don't remember why. For some reason, all the pistachios, pest- all the pistachios that yes. you bought everywhere were yes. red? In the shell. Is this the true? shells. Yes, I promise you, I'm not I'm not making this up. The shells were dyed red. I mean, like if you ate pistachios, your fingers, your lips, your teeth, you would all be red by the time you were done from cracking the red dyed shells. And like it was such a treat to find the ones that were natural because you could eat them and not be red. I think it was some kind of a weird law. I don't know. But then eventually they were no longer red anymore. But I always loved them, even when they were red. That is very strange. Yeah. So what is your favorite nut? Wait, what's your what was your favorite? Oh, your favorite pistachio. Your least and favorite. And my least well, I don't want to tell you my least favorite. I'm gonna write it down. Oh, we should have done it that way. Okay, I've written it down. So you tell me your favorite, and if it's this one, then that is hilarious. Okay. My favorite Well, this one doesn't count because it's not technically a nut, but cashews. Oh my god! Look what I wrote down. Oh my goodness. <laughs> My least she wrote down nut. cashew. I did. Oh my goodness. This is That's hysterical. Really funny. This is hysterical. I mean, it's so, it really is hysterical. Oh wow. I'm like in shock right now. That's my most favorite. So, my least favorite, well, is probably pistachios, pistachio. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking of like the nut bins at Whole Foods where you see all the nuts. I, yeah, I would yeah. eat everything except I don't think I would get pistachios. I would not get cashews. <laughs> but I do love most other nuts. Yeah. I also know you don't eat peanuts, do you? I don't, but I, I like yeah. the taste. Yeah. Those are technically not even nuts. Right. They're legumes. And cashews technically are legumes. They're the seed of a fruit. Are they? Okay. Oh, f- listeners, if you ever want to be like mind blown moment, look up what a cashew looks like on the, tr- like when it's. On the tray. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's so funny. <laughs> it's a little seed, but it hangs off of this fruit. It's like a little okay. fingernail coming out of okay. it. It's weird. I'll have to look that up. But my mo- my most favorite actual nut would be probably almonds. Now, see, I like almonds too. We can agree on almonds. Okay. We can share some. If almonds. we ever have a party with snacks <laughs> out, we'll have almonds. <laughs> we could have we go. could have like the gin table of foods and the Melanie table of foods, and we could see how many people go to which table. We could be roommates and you would never eat my food. I know. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And you, right, and you don't like funfetti. No. Oh, which is like divine. Like in heaven, all you do is eat this funfetti, and for some reason, it's amazing. It's like healthy for you there. Yeah, I don't like funfetti. Oh. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, and if we ever need to move into an apartment together, Melanie. We can have our own food. We won't even need to label it because... <laughs> I know. It will be so obvious. Except for the wine. We're going to have trouble with that. Oh, true. Yeah. Well, no, because I don't like Prosecco. Well, okay well, then. That's so funny. I don't like champagne or Prosecco. Yeah, see, that's my favorite. I'm using the Dry Farm wines again. Did I tell you that? That I'd started getting them again? No. 
it was because you have to sign for it here in the state of Georgia. So I was not home. I was at work. So now I can sign for it. So I've started getting the shipments again. And also I'm getting their sparkling too. So I'm getting the regular shipment and their sparkling shipment. And I'm really enjoying it. I got, I got really sad. I got a, a note from, from the post office saying that I had a package in Atlanta but the, the the it came way too late, and I wasn't sure who it was from. But it had like initials that looked like Dry Farm wines, and they said the package weighed like twenty pounds. And I was like, oh, I think I know what this is. Yeah, I think it was like a random gift they were sending. It wasn't like oh, a like your regular shipment. Yeah, yeah. but they said they're going to send it here. So it's oh, all that's good. good. That's good. I just feel bad. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's so funny. I'm dying about those food things. That is so funny. I mean, I, the fact that I wrote down cashews and you said cashews. If there was one food, like non-animal food, that I could just eat, I could just eat cashews. Could you? I think. Right now, I yeah. mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've actually considered it, like a cashew fast. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know I, if there's one I could eat. I'm not sure. I would have to think about it. I like I like food. <laughs> All food. Next episode, we, we should do another food group. This is a fun game. That was a fun game. Like, Shall we'll we do like dairy. We can do yeah. dairy. We can do meat. We can do vegetables. Okay. Yeah. All I'm right. excited. Next next episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, what's your blood type? And then I'll stop. Well, I am A negative. Oh, wait. Should we not say that because of the government? <laughs> no, they already uh, know. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I said it by my home pod, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's been no. recorded. I'm A negative. That's my blood type. What's yours? I figured that we were not the same. Are you O? Mm-hmm. Okay, now see. I, the funny thing is I match up perfectly to that blood type diet recommendation. I, you know, I, I believe definitely there's a genetic component to what we eat as, as far as what works for our bodies. Um, I know there's something to the component of, of that, but I'm not certain it's as simple as just, you know, our blood type. Because what they recommend for A is not exactly where it works well for me. Um, that author's books are interesting. If you read his later books, he gets more in depth with different genotypes, like the teacher, the whatever, I don't know. But there's all these different genotypes that he talks about. And, it, and I, I got too confused, so I could no longer follow it because I was like, I don't know what I am anymore. But he started changing the recommendations based on whether you're a secretor or a non-secretor or whether right. you're whatever. Which I don't know how you figure that out. You have there's to- a test you can do, yeah. Can I but- order it? It might be part of our regular genetic testing that we've done. Oh. I'll like I check. bet I bet we could find it in there. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna check mine. I was just gonna say I think it goes down to broadly maybe how we react to lectins based on our blood type, but not like every single specific right. food. And then also I think it's majorly involved in apparently your blood type correlates to how much hydrochloric acid you generate in your stomach. So blood type O, I think usually has high HCL. Well, that would make sense why you're good with meat. And so I think that's a huge foundational. And see, I don't I do not do as well with a lot of meat. So that's true. Yep. Very interesting. I might should try all that again just to see because when I was doing it before, it was, of course, years and years ago when I was trying to lose weight. I did not lose weight following the blood type diet. But it would be interesting to look over those um, recommendations again and see if it correlates with anything I've gone in the directions that I've gone. Again, I do think it's probably a little overly simple as far as like blood type, but it is fascinating. I think it's it's both overly simple, but then overly complicated because he, like on his website, he he has gone through every single food known yeah. to mankind and assigned it a 
a status, which I'm not sure how, I don't know if he's tested every single food. Yeah. I don't know. Related to blood. I don't know. It's definitely interesting. And we, it, it helps us to understand, even if that's not the missing key, it's, it it's just shows again that we're all different with what foods work well for us. And it's a matter of figuring out what, what feels good to you. So on that note, are we ready for our first question? I think so. All right. Our first question comes from Becky and the subject is IF phases. And Becky says, I am in my third month of IF and currently have a 24 window. So that means she's fasting for 20 hours and she's eating in for four hours. I've noticed in the Facebook group that there seems to be typical phases most people go through on this journey. I know that everyone is different. However, it appears that we all go through a similar adjustment period before we find what works for us. Can you please describe some of the phases you have observed and talk about how long they last and what is happening internally during those times? It can be comforting to know that what we are experiencing on this journey is normal or typical because others have walked through it and successfully survived. Alrighty. I thought this was a great, unique question. So Jen, what do, what are the phases? Well, I really love it. And I actually have a post that I pull out ever so often that I've saved and I call it the stages of IF and for anyone who's read Delay Don't Deny you know I've, I've got a little humorous tone in there so I, I'm I guess a humor writer I don't know if that would wait humorous diet materials is what I write so there's a little bit of, of funniness to this list I'm going to read you the list that I post in the Facebook group and that might be what she's talking about but then I'll explain the the nugget of truth that's within each one and there are actually 13 phases so I'm going to go to, through them quickly we call them the stages of IF. And whenever I post this, it is really funny because people are like, oh, yeah, I'm a seven or I'm cycling between nine and 10. And so really everybody can find themselves in this list. Okay, so stage one, I'm going to do it day one. You know, that's the the beginner's excitement. Everyone is excited. They're ready. They're jumping in. They're going to do 20, 23, one or, you know, they're ready. They're going to they're going to do it. That step one. Then we go to step two. What do you mean I have to drink black coffee? That's the step when everyone is like trying to say, well, what, what, why can't I have this? Why can't I have that? And man, I really would say beverages and things, other things you put in your mouth, like gum and mints, that is the number one like stumbling block for new fasters. You know, because we're so used to before we start fasting. I mean, I constantly had something going on, whether it was a latte or I was chewing some gum or I was having a a stevia soda. I mean, it was constant, constant flavor. So the, the, the having to have, you know, the boring clean fast is, is a difficult step for a lot of people. All right. Stage three, the headache. Oh, I'm so tired. You know, that's one people go through because as you adjust your body it's going to send you signals as it's looking for that food that you're not eating during the day anymore. And so, you know, you're using up your glycogen stores and you're lethargic. And that's one people, you know, usually around week two, week three, people, you know, sometimes a little earlier than that. But people start to say, why do I feel so bad? Why am I needing to take a nap? Why don't I have any energy? That sort of thing. So that's a typical stage that people go through. All right, stage four. Why am I binging the minute my window opens? You know, that's a common stage people go through and they start to get worried because 
sometimes people gain weight at first when they start intermittent fasting because of this very phenomenon. Because at first, Dr. Hearing, who I talk about all the time, he calls it compensatory overeating because your your brain is not quite aware of what you're doing yet. And so you your window opens and you just are like, I must eat all the food. And you're worried because you're like, I've got to eat so much that I'm not going to be hungry during the fast tomorrow. So it's very, very typical to have that um, that overeating phase at first. And then people start to think this is going to fail. I'm going to gain weight. This is stupid. Why, why am I doing this? And we, we have to talk people through that phase a lot. Just, you know, hang in there. You, you know, people who've shared their own stories about how, it, how it's happened for them. That's really helpful. All right. Stage five, it's been three weeks and I haven't lost weight or I'm gaining weight. Help. So that kind of feeds on the on the end of um, step four there because people are overeating at first because they haven't gotten in tune with their satiety signals and they're worried. So the first few weeks, a lot of people don't lose any weight. They may even gain a little weight. So something to keep in mind. All right. Stage six. This is starting to get better. Stage six. Hey, suddenly I'm not as hungry. I get full before I finished my dinner. And that is when people just start start to feel what we call appetite correction, also, you know, coined by Dr. Herring. And it's when they start realizing that their satiety signals are telling them to stop eating before they've eaten as much food as they think that they quote should unquote eat. And so for people who have counted calories for so long, it feels like they may not be eating enough. Sometimes people actually worry when they get to this phase because, you know, during the day you're burning fat, you're happy. Then when you eat, your body's like plenty of energy. You don't need to eat so much. And so then people, as I said, start to worry that they aren't having enough to eat. And the key is just really focus on how your body feels. If you feel good, stop when you're satisfied. All right. Stage seven. My pants are looser, but the scale still says I haven't lost weight. And we get this one a lot, too. One thing about fasting that's different from other diets that we've all tried is the body recomposition aspect to it. And people lose inches frequently before they lose pounds. Like, they'll lose a lot of inches, but the weight is still the same on the scale or even going up a little bit, and they worry. And so we always say, you know, trust your pants, if you are finding that your clothes are getting looser, then know that something good is happening in your body because you're losing fat. And because of the increased human growth hormone, you're likely building muscle at the same time just with moving your body throughout your day. So you're gaining muscle, losing fat, but the scale may not be cooperating. By the way, if you hear a cat meowing, it's because my cat just walked in with a lizard and then then she dropped it. So there's some kind of, I think it was a salamander. There's some kind of salamander running free in this room that I'm in right now. <laughs> that is not a stage of IF. All right. This happens every now and then, listeners. I can't help it. This Animals. <laughs> She's not fasting. <laughs> of course, she didn't eat it. So anyway. All right. Um, stage eight. All of a sudden, I'm down two sizes. And that seems to happen quickly. Just all of a sudden, boom, somebody will see a lot of a lot of size change, like, for me, it happened. I went straight from, let me think, I was wearing a 10, and then I didn't buy any new clothes because it was almost spring, and then the next time we went shopping, I was wearing a 4. I mean, it was, like, remarkable how that how that happened. It was really pretty amazing um, all of a sudden. I mean, I probably could have fit into an 8 and a 6, but I never even bought 8s or 6s. I just went straight from 10 to 4. All right, 
And this is back in 2015. All right, stage nine, help. I've stopped losing weight again. What am I doing wrong? That's the plateau stage. People cycle through plateaus and they get really worried about it. You know, is this all I'm going to lose? Is Am I finished losing weight? Am I stuck here? Just realize that plateaus happen and they might go on for a while and your body will eventually figure it out. People report that all of a sudden they'll start losing again after being on a plateau for a couple months. But even with that, they've lost some, some inches along the way. All right, we're getting there. Here we go. Stage 10, none of my clothes fit. I need a smaller wardrobe. And again, the sizes continue to drop. Stage 11, this is my favorite, food snob, we call it. And I actually wrote it, I write it, hashtag food snob. And people report when they get to, when they've been doing intermittent fasting for a while and get to this stage, only the best food will do. And people almost universally find, we've talked about this before, that their taste in food completely changes and they're craving foods they never wanted before. Somebody will post something like, oh my gosh, I bought my favorite ice cream and I tried to eat it and it was disgusting. And so they're like, and I was craving broccoli instead. So that's a phase that we seem to typically go through. Then we have stage 12 and that is goal. People get to their goal weight, goal size. They declare themselves to be at goal, which is always very exciting. And then finally, step 13, stage 13, maintenance. I'll never eat any other way again. And universally, we find that to be true as well. When people have been doing intermittent fasting for a year or two years, we don't want to stop. And we might go off of it for a while on a trip or on a vacation on a long weekend, but we don't feel great. So we've talked about this before on the podcast as well. We want to get back to it because it's just the way we live. It's the way we feel best. So those are the stages of IF and pretty much people cycle through them and everyone's at any given point along the way. I love being at stage 13, just like you, Melanie. I know you're also at stage 13 maintenance and it's a a fun place to be. That was very detailed. (laughs) I know, I know. That's that's the list, though. So that was funny. I like it. That's probably what she was talking about. I think so. Yeah, because um, it really is very typical that people go through those, and we have to hold their hand through them. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but that's why we have support groups, literally, to hold your hand through the process. And that's that's the point of it. Because if you're on your own, you know, like for me, I I started and quit from 2009 to 2014 because I would get to like the not losing weight phase and be like, this is crap. And then I would quit. And so if someone had been there to hold my hand and say, yeah, but are your pants looser? Yeah, but how do you feel? Then I might would have stuck with it. So we are happy to support you through all of these different stages because we've literally seen each of them a thousand times. And when we tell you um, it's okay at week two that you've gained five pounds, we, we, we're not kidding. We're not just trying to, you know, <laughs> pull the wool over your eyes. It's normal. It's typical. And, you know, there are 20 people who have come on that very same, you know, comment thread and said, yep, me too. Happened to me. Happened to me. So so do you have anything you'd like to add to that, the stages of IF? So my stages, I just came up with a few general ones that I personally went through. And it's hard for me to tell exactly because I was low carb for so long and then I jumped into intermittent fasting and it was a very seamless transition for me. It wasn't difficult. <laughs> well, cause you had been already running on ketones with the being low carb. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And fat adapted, but I think I can still speak to the transition to becoming 
fat adapted, Mm -hmm. which was similar when I went low carb. And that's the main thing, like the sugar withdrawals, getting used to not running on glucose. So it's funny. I don't remember having, I don't remember having brain fog or anything like that when I first went low carb or detoxy type reaction. I just had, I just wanted carbs. Yeah. It wasn't that difficult for me. And that's probably because I, when I first transitioned to low carb, I basically just ate all the dairy, like went super, like lots of cheese and things like that. And that's like one of my favorite. I just love that food. So it wasn't really hard yeah. at all. I just went super high fat. And because fettuccine Alfredo was all, always my favorite food. So I basically just started making chicken Alfredo without the Yum. pasta. And I was I was good. <laughs> um, but in general, the sugar, the sugar withdrawals can be a thing. And it's it's interesting now. I think more now I'm experiencing what a lot of people experience often with intermittent fasting when they get a detox type reaction. If there's something that their body starts tackling and they feel lethargic or struggle with that because like for me recently with the mercury and some other things I've, I'm like oh this is what it feels like to have brain fog and things yeah <laughs> so I can imagine that can be a that can be a um part of the transition or phase I will say as far as wanting certain foods um the transition for me was first if there was any physical, like, oh, I really want it, that might have been there. It was so long ago. Um, but then then it kind of transitioned to just a, a sadness, like, I wish I could have that food type thing. And then it moved to now I'm at the point where, honestly, foods are – I mean, this is for me just foods in gener- general in my eating window, but also during the fast. I can see foods, and they're, like, aesthetically pleasing to me. Like, I can appreciate them, and they look – yummy but I don't feel like I have to have them I don't feel like I'm missing something I can still appreciate I think that's a great point because and that's not in one of my stages but we all go through that early on the fear of missing out of food experiences like everyone's eating this delicious food and here I am over here not getting to eat it you know it's so funny because people assume that that's how you're feeling though so like if there's a cake or something and you know they offer you some cake and I mean I will play slightly decline and if it comes up about why they'll be like oh I'm so sorry like and I'm I'm like no it's fine like it's fine like it doesn't it does not bother me it does not bother me you're right yeah you're like actually if I ate this cake I would feel awful in 30 minutes so I'm really super glad to not be eating (laughs) yeah it's it just takes it's part of that learning process of breaking your fast when you weren't intending to a few times because of that pressure or because other people eating or eating, you feel like you're missing out. You do that a few times or a lot of times for me. It took me a lot of times to realize I didn't feel better and I wasn't really missing out. It's interesting though, when the sh- when those cravings do come back because of an underlying cause. So like when I got the heavy metals and I think I got that often goes along with like candida and I, I got an, an overgrowth of an overgrowth of that, I believe. Um, my sugar cravings came back and it felt it was it felt like during the fast it came back and it felt very different. It was like a different type of craving. It wasn't like, oh, I'd like to have that. It was like, oh, I really That's interesting. It's like it wasn't me wanting wanting the it wasn't the sugar. though. It was your gut. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. So, and and also when I was in that state, even though I was fasted, I almost didn't feel fasted. It was a very weird feeling. So, yeah, I guess it just depends 
the nature of the cravings? Are like are they coming because you're not fat adapted or are they coming because of some gut dysbiosis or Yep. Shall we jump into the next? Yes. Actually, this is appropriate. Speaking of things inside you. It's a good one. It really is. This one's from Karen and the subject is parasite cleanse. And Karen says, Aloha, ladies. I am a second grade teacher on the big island of Hawaii. My wonderful friend and colleague, Michelle, who is on my grade level team, told me about your podcast. I have listened to most of the episodes and am on day 13 of my one meal a day journey. I am also part of the Facebook group where many questions get answered. I am intrigued with the whole process and love how effortless this lifestyle seems to be so far. I am 52 years old and nine weeks post hysterectomy. Between the benefits of my surgery and IF, I feel better than I have in years. I am running circles around my students with energy to spare, loving the mental clarity. My question is this. Is it safe to do a parasite cleanse during extended fasting states, or when would be the optimal window length for this type of cleanse? In addition, will the parasite cleanse protocol be considered a dirty fast since the herbs and drinks are scheduled throughout the day? I plan to do a parasite cleanse promoted by Dr. Hulda Clark over spring break. I want to make sure it will enhance my health and not hinder any progress toward healing I have accomplished by then. And I do want to say real quick as a side note, spring break has come and gone. So Karen, I'm sorry we didn't get to this before your spring break. Um, Back to the question. If you have any thoughts on other parasite cleanse options, I would enjoy hearing those too, along with your overall opinions. Keep up the cheerful encouragement you both so willingly share. It is appreciated. Mahalo, Karen, and her buddy, Michelle. All right. So, Melanie, what do you say about that? Okie dokie. Parasites. (laughs) I'm quite familiar with this subject because I have been convinced for quite a long time that I've had parasites. So I've definitely done, like, all the research and, like, how to kill the parasites and (laughs) everything. So as far as do parasite cleanses break the fast, it depends on what type of cleanse you're doing. So if you are just taking herbs, like straight herbs, like during the fast, that's not probably going to break your fast. I mean, you'd have to look at the actual individual supplement and see what's in there, but typically just straight up herbs will not. That said, taking those in the in the fasted state, you might get a more severe detox die-off type reaction so that is something to keep in mind if you're doing a parasite cleanse that has drinks and things with it you again you'd have to look at the ingredients but if it is drinks that has carbs or fiber or taking in actual (laughs) not water and coffee then that would be most likely breaking your fast that would be a separate thing and what i would encourage you to do is if you're going to do some sort of parasite cleanse that has drinks and has a whole protocol, don't, I would just do that. So like do it as its own thing. Don't just forget about, forget about intermittent fasting while you're doing it because that's a specific protocol. I wouldn't try to combine the two necessarily. This is just if you're doing one that's already like laid out and you're buying these drinks and stuff, just do what it says and then go back to intermittent fasting afterwards. That said, she did ask for thoughts on options and stuff. So if you did want to just do natural parasite cleansing paired with intermittent fasting, one supplement I found that I really liked is called Scram. It's my favorite of everything that I've seen. And so it contains like black walnut, wormwood, clove, which are all anti 
parasitic herbs. It also contains a lot of enzymes, like proteolytic type enzymes that will break down things. And then it contains liver support as well. That's one I really like to take during the fasted state. I will note, depending on, this is a whole tangent, but depending on your constitution, certain herbs are cooling by Chinese medicine standards and certain herbs are warming by Chinese medicine standards. And if you are really inflamed and you feel like you feel like parasites might be contributing to that, like wormwood and black walnut are cooling herbs. So that might be something you would do better with. Whereas if you are on the colder side and you don't feel super like inflamed, you might want to go more like the clove route, the garlic route. That's another thing. You can also just eat anti-parasitic foods in your eating window rather than trying an actual like attack, attack, attack approach. So that would be things like pineapple, which I love, pumpkin seeds. You could cooking with a lot of herbs. So cooking with garlic is super anti-parasitic. Um, cooking with oregano, spices, things like that. So you could make your actual food just support an anti-parasitic environment. And then one other thing I will mention. Oh, side note. Do you know how pumpkin seeds work to get rid of parasites? Jen? I don't. Is it uh, is it something in the coating of the seed that kills them? I'm not sure exactly what compound, but it doesn't kill them. It just paralyzes them. Oh. Yeah, so then they detach from you you, and can be flushed out. There you go. Something else to keep in mind is diaphragm can be a pretty big thing with parasites. So you might want to take binders. So that's things like activated charcoal, bentonite clay, diatomaceous earth, and those are things that are going to absorb toxins and potentially the parasites and of course there are people who say oh we don't have parasites oh i have a story about that go ahead i'm excited to hear i've been um, seeing a new md though and i mean she was like she's like everybody has parasites like everybody does um it's just a matter of you know what type and if they're super pathogenic and how your immune system is responding to them if you think about it we're sort of like a, a ship for Parasitic, parasitic organisms. We're almost more other things than we are ourselves in a way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's really just a matter of what is the balance going on there. Is it in favor of us? Is it symbiotic with us or is it detrimental? And so I think that's a huge struggle for people in general. So, I mean, if you use the word parasite as like a overarching category, there, there are a lot of things going on in there. Um, What's your story? I don't know. Have I ever talked on the podcast about the time that I had worms? <laughs> this is like TMI, maybe. I don't think I have. have like I? what type of worms? Like worms, like like how, how a kid, big? like a child has worms, and you. I, I think I got it from a student. Yeah, I mean, I remember I had those when I was little all the time. Yeah. Well, I I don't know that I ever had them when I was little, but I know people used to talk about like go outside barefoot, you're going to get worms or whatever, you're going to get worms, but. I swear, I think I got them from a student. And um, like the day that I found out that I had them, I was a grown up. I mean, I was teaching. And I remember I was like probably 40. And I was um, at school. And I freaked out. And I went to the teacher that was in the room next to me. And I'm like, oh, my God. I was like so upset. And I went to the school nurse. And I was like, what do I do? She's like, calm down. Because, you know, I mean, school nurses, they see everything, you know, they're like, they see lice every day. They see, you know, she's like, it's all right. 
<laughs> she's like, let me call your OBGYN for you. She called my doctor and talked to my doctor about it. And they called me in a prescription and I took the prescription and it took care of the problem. But yeah, it's freaky to, to see um, evidence of <laughs> little creatures that are living inside of you. So then I was like staring at all my students trying to figure out which one of them was squirmy. You know, squirmy, squirmy from the worst. Who's the yeah. responsible party here? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, think about it. The kids go to the bathroom, they pick up a pencil, you use their pencil. I mean, with with kids, it is just a germ fest all the time. You know, they use use your pencil, they write on the board with your markers. It's just, you can't, it's, it's impossible. So you have to try to keep everything, you know, anyway, it's, it's. A difficult situation for teachers. So there's my worm story for no nobody's listening to this podcast, right? Nobody 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 tell that story. Anyway, so yes, we do have parasites, and people who say we don't, I've had parasites before. <laughs> anyway, um, it's funny that you the advice that you gave Karen is just what I was going to say. I have it written down here. Um, we've got to keep in mind what we're doing. If your goal is a parasite cleanse because you know you have parasites and it's going to require you to not do fasting because you're doing a parasite cleanse, then do a parasite cleanse. And then you can go back to clean fasting when you're done with that. So sometimes we stop intermittent fasting for a period of time to do something else. Like people who have to go in a round of antibiotics because of something going on and they have to take it with food three times a day and they absolutely have to. Sometimes you have to do that. You take a break. You have to focus on what is the main thing I'm combating right now. And if that is parasite cleanse, do that. Then go back to the, the clean fast when you're done. But that that's you said that same thing, Melanie. So I thought that was interesting. Awesome, awesome. Back in the old days, people would willingly ingest tapeworms to lose weight. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I still have the heebie-jeebies thinking about it. I mean, I was so freaked out. I think I was crying. When you found out? Yes. <laughs> so you, you would not like, there's that, there's a whole new burgeoning science about the, um, what's the word? It's something worms. No, I don't want any kind of worms I can see. Sorry. No. It's the, um, it's people have started taking worms to like correct gut dysbiosis Oh, I've I've read that. I have seen that. I actually have seen that. I was I was like traumatized by this whole event. <laughs> it's like worm therapy. Yeah, yeah. I'm just over it. Anyway, so that that was that. So <laughs> shall we move on to the next question? Alrighty. So the next question comes from Jackie. The subject is not sure if it starts when eating window ends or after last bite of food. <laughs> very descriptive subject. And Jackie says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I'm new to intermittent fasting and really enjoying this new way of eating. I'm also really enjoying your podcast. My question is this. I'm doing 24. My window is usually 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. If, for example, I finish eating for the day at 6 p.m., does my fasting begin at 6 p.m. or do I still begin it at 7 p.m. as that completes the 24-hour day? Thank you. Best wishes. So, Interesting question. Yeah, I think this this goes along with what we see all the time is that people get really hung up in what we call it. Okay, so if she's doing 24 and fasting for 20 hours and having a four-hour eating window, you can get caught up in must do 20, must do four, and that's not true at all. Make it flexible. Make it suit your life. I mean, really 
my day to day is different day to day. There's like a, a range of time. Like I could probably say my eating window is from four until 10, meaning sometime in between four and 10, I'm going to eat at some point. But when you stop eating, you have closed your window. So if you stop eating at six, you've closed your window at six. And if you start eating the next day at three, then you've now had a 21-hour fast instead of a 20-hour fast, and that's fine. Then maybe one day you'll eat a little earlier, and then your fast will be a little shorter, and that's okay. It all averages out as long as you um, keep it around the same time period day to day. So yes, it can be um, a different time every day within that range, what that works for you. And when you stop eating, that is when your fast begins. Yeah. So when I was writing my book, What, When, Wine, it has a very detailed section about picking a window and how to go about implementing intermittent fasting. And it was really difficult to write because there's so many like little questions and little technicalities and people get really wrapped up in how to like how to do it. <laughs> and then it got even more complicated because I made for the pre-order thing, I made a quiz to try to find your perfect IF protocol. Oh, Jen, you should take it and see what it says for you. I'm really curious. I think I might have taken it. I don't know. You had me look you had me look at it, right? I got really excited because I'd never made it an online quiz before. And it's really complicated because you have to come up with like Kind of like algorithms, you know? Yeah. I remember you had me look at it at one point. But I got really excited because I, I made it and I tried it on myself and it said exactly what I was. Well, that's good. That's good. But yeah, so if you do check out my book, it's What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting and Wine. That's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And it goes through all the technicalities and how to find your window. But in general, I will say, I think at the beginning, if somebody's new to IF, it can be good to have, you know, a, a very strict plan that you stick to. But the more you do intermittent fasting, the longer you do it, you you become more comfortable with yourself and you don't fixate as much mm -hmm. on the times. But even, even so, I would not like keep eating till seven just because, you know, your window closes at seven, right? Is she asking like if literally... Her fast. I mean, it seems like she's asking literally is her fasting beginning at six or beginning at seven. I don't think she's asking if she will keep eating. She, she's asking when, when should she, when should she consider the fast to start? That's what she's asking. True. Because it, it would, if she started it at six, then it would mess up the hours for the next day because it would be a different opening time. Right. So now she's fasted. Now she's fasted 21 hours instead of 20. And that's what I would do. Instead of messing with the, like, now I'm going to eat at two instead of three, I would just open it at three again. Right. I wouldn't adjust the next day. Right. I wouldn't adjust that either. You will just have a longer fast. On the flip side, say for some reason, if you ate till like midnight that night, it's up to you the next day. You could totally just stick to your normal meal. Or if you feel like you're not hungry and so you want to wait later to eat, that's that's fine too. It's all fine. It's all okay. It all works out. <laughs> like, it yeah. all works out in the end. <laughs> that's the thing. Perfection is not required. I mean, you do have to be consistent, but <laughs> it doesn't have to be so regimented. Exactly. So our next question is from Gayathri, and the subject is supplements on intermittent fasting. And it's a short one, and it says, on intermittent fasting, does it require any supplements? If so, what are those? Thanks. 
Yeah, I thought this was a great question because we talk about supplements all the time and whether you should take this supplement or whether you should not take this supplement. And maybe we should just address, does it require supplements? I think I think that's great. And the answer to that is no. In the ideal world, in my opinion, we wouldn't take any. We wouldn't need any supplements. I mean, it can be hard based on modern food practices and nutrients and things like that. But no, intermittent fasting does not require supplements. Yeah, I had a number. I have two two points. Number one, what you just said that really we want to have nutritious foods instead of supplements. We want to get what we need from our foods, eating a variety of foods day to day. That's the very best thing. It's you know the overall pattern of what we're eating. But as far as supplements, my number two that I had written down was you have to identify issues that you face. And then design a supplement regimen to support your goals. Whatever you go, have going on, think, okay, what works for that? Like, for example, you know, we've talked a lot about serapeptase. I had uterine fibroids. I looked around to see what would work for that. I chose serapeptase. I took it for that specific reason. Um, the same thing, I take magnesium. I was having a little trouble falling asleep and also... We sometimes suffer with regularity a little bit on intermittent fasting, so I started taking magnesium, also knowing that we're often um, deficient in magnesium in a modern lifestyle, and that really helped with that. So I had an issue. I found a supplement that went along with that issue. I'm adding one more supplement just because it's an issue I was having, and that was restless legs. I think we've talked about that sometime on on the podcast as well. And I kind of noticed a correlation that if I eat sugar, I tend to have restless legs. And so I was like, hmm, maybe I should have a little less dessert for a while. But then somebody in the Facebook group recommended something that works really well for her. Methylfolate is the name of it. And so I've ordered that and it should be. Do you have the MTHFR mutation? Um, Do you know? I do not. She mentioned that to me as well. She asked me if I did and said that she did. I do not. But she said this works really well for her. Actually, I don't know if she has it or not. Somebody asked me if I did in that conversation. I can't remember if it was her. So is methylfolate great for for that? Yeah, if you have um, various MTHFR mutations, that's what affects your body's ability to convert folic acid into folate. So if you do have those mutations... Um, you can definitely benefit from taking methylated folate, which is basically the active form so your body doesn't have to convert it. So I'm going to take it and see if that does anything for me. But again, like I said, I'm not trying to, I mean, you can look around at supplements. There are like a thousand bazillion, bazillion, you know, quote, miracle supplements that'll do this, that, and the other. But I, for me, as a rule of thumb, I think, what are my needs? What are my, what are my issues? And then I look for something for that. Because otherwise, I mean, there just you, there's just unlimited things you could take. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to just cut out every single supplement and see what happens. Yeah, but then but then I'm like, oh, but I need this one just a little bit <laughs> someday. Alrighty, so one more question. This one comes from Sky. The subject is gaining muscle, and Sky says, "Hi, ladies. Unlike a lot of your listeners, I am already." at a pretty happy body weight and a low body fat percentage. However, I want to incorporate IF for the health benefits, including inflammation reduction. I lift weights regularly and actually would like to gain three to five pounds of muscle. 
Is that possible while intermittent fasting? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. Um, Without a doubt, gaining muscle is possible during intermittent fasting. In fact, as I talked about earlier, when I listed the stages of IF, I mentioned the body recomposition where people lose inches, but they don't lose pounds. And that's because with intermittent fasting, we are in a state to burn fat, but also we're in a state to really build muscle. So you're fasting and your body increases your human growth hormone. That's something that's um, that's been demonstrated while fasting your body has more human growth hormone going on. And I know Dr. Jason Fung has talked about this on, I think, his podcast about how with the women he's seeing in his practice, they're gaining muscle. They're also gaining bone density, which I think is interesting. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So um, I think intermittent fasting is, is what I would do if I were trying to build some muscle. I would work out during the fasted state. How about you, Melanie? What do you think? Yep. And intermittent fasting, contrary to a lot of people believe, it's actually creates a wonderful metabolic state for muscle support and muscle building. Because like Jen said, it upregulates growth hormone. It um, makes your muscles more receptive to both utilizing fat and carbs as fuel, also for muscle growth. And so it really puts you in like the... Um, the optimal. Yeah. True. You're... Yeah. I mean, you are in the catabolic breakdown stage during the fast, but then your your anabolic building stage is enhanced when you do eat again. And Sky, and for all listeners who are interested in gaining muscle, we've had Ori Hoffmeckler on the podcast. He's um big, one of the grandfathers of intermittent fasting, and he has some books specifically about how to gain muscle, especially with intermittent fasting. So I'll put links to those in the show notes because he goes into all the science and it's very, very fascinating. But yeah, definitely don't worry about it. Definitely make sure that you eat the protein to satiety. I, protein is doesn't tend to get messed up in our body as far as our cravings for it. So your body should naturally tell you how much protein you need. So yeah, keep doing your weights. You can do it in the fasted state. Studies do show that muscle synthesis can occur at any point within 24 hours. So you don't have to eat right after a workout. That said, I, I am seeing more and more people insisting you do need to eat right after a workout. I personally don't think that's Mm -mm. necessary. Um, But I do keep seeing that from a lot of people. So, Well, but think about this though. The food that you eat right after the workout is not the food that you're building your muscle from, from that workout. You eat it and you have to digest it. So that doesn't even make sense physiologically because it's not like you eat the food and then it goes immediately to your muscle. I mean, that does that makes no sense at all. It always makes me laugh. I guess in some of Ori's books, he will talk about smart supplementation with super fast assimilated forms of protein. Not not um I'm not sure exactly because it's not I'm not into the, the muscle building, so I wasn't like taking intense notes, but it was things like certain certain forms of dairy proteins and things like that. In in any case, the studies have shown that within twenty four hours muscle synthesis can occur. So you don't you don't really have to stress about that, but you want you do want to make sure you're getting adequate amounts of protein for your body. Yep, that's a great point. All right, I think that's all we have time for today. All right, so a few things for listeners before we go. So if you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, there are a few ways you can do that. You can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com. You can also go to our website and you can submit questions there. Also at the website, you can get on our mailing list. You can look up show notes for the website. Then a few other things. If 
you'd like to help support our podcast and make it possible, you can go to patreon.com slash ifpodcast. Any support would be super appreciated. You can also go to iTunes and you can subscribe to our podcast and then you will get it automatically downloaded each and every week. You won't even have to do anything. And while you're there, if you'd like to write a brief review as well, that would be super awesome. And then lastly, for more information, you can check out our books. I have What When Wine, Jen Has Delay, Don't Deny, and Feast Without Fear. Those are also on Amazon. Also, reviews would be appreciated. Like I always say, I read all the reviews. Jen doesn't read any (laughs) of the reviews. And um, you can also follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. So, yep, all the things. I'm super excited to do another little food comparison. Wait, just one, 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 one to end. What's your most favorite green vegetable and least favorite? Oh green gosh. Vegetable? Okay. I got to remember what that was. Okay. So like to clarify green vegetable, this would be a vegetable that would be like considered like the keto people would eat it. Oh gosh. I don't know if I could answer that right. Okay. So like a zucchini would be out. Do they eat zucchini? See, I don't, I can't even remember. No, no. They eat zucchini. It's been so long since I tried that. I don't like zucchini. Okay. Um, or should we do like leafy greens only or all? Or well, all? okay. We could, what, whichever, because I already write down zucchini. <laughs> that's that's my favorite. Is your favorite? That's like my least favorite. I never <laughs> eat zucchini. That's like the yeah, one. Okay. So we let's just only do leafy greens. All right. You ready for my favorite? Uh-huh. My favorite is spinach. Oh, that's my favorite too. Yay. We can eat leafy we can, greens together. We can have spinach and almonds. We'll have really high histamine. <laughs> There you go. And what's your favorite? Your favorite was spinach. And my least favorite is mustard greens. Ugh. Not uh, good. I don't, I don't even know if I like what the, I don't know what those taste like. Bad. My, they taste bad. My, my least favorite is kale. I'm not a kale fan. I do like kale. I like kale. You have to massage it. Kale is hipster. I do have a kale recipe in my book that apparently she says it's like really good. Yeah. You should try it. <laughs> I should try it. <laughs> So maybe the leafy greens is where we can um we can we can have a great I don't like spinach. I don't like zucchini though oh I love zucchini mm. I put it in a ton of butter and onion and I saute it with also some yellow squash like I could just eat that I could just eat it we eat should it, have done fav- your favorite squash because I think or like gourd yeah I do like I think all of the gourds my favorite would probably be um like butternut squash yeah or pumpkin I like all those. Yeah. Give me a gourd. I'm good. You're good to go. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you. It's been great. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.